0: Good morning. Keep your Bibles open to that text. Lord willing, we'll refer to that later in the lesson. <coughs> Might seem like an odd passage to start with in a sermon entitled, You're Full of Baloney. But that's why I want you to hold on to that because that's, that's what we're coming back to later. First, let's go to the one book of the Bible that is so full of baloney It's the book of Job, and I want you to see what I mean by that, the book of Job. I hope you're familiar with this book. If not, I hope you do a little more research on it, because this book may be the first or one of the first books in the Bible chronologically. There's evidence for that, and it would make good sense because of the topic of the book of Job which is personal human suffering. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I just wonder, is there anybody here who's ever suffered? Okay, yeah. So this book is for you. And it would do all of us well to understand it better. But the reason I'm talking about being full of baloney is because, well, if you know some of the story, we'll, we'll go into some of the details, not all of it, but basically what happens is Job falls into great difficulty and he doesn't know why. And he has three friends show up who don't know why, but they begin to speculate, and with great confidence in their speculations, they tell Job why he is suffering what he is suffering. And that's why I've entitled this sermon, You're Full of Baloney. What's that phrase mean, anyway? You're full of baloney. Isn't the baloney a good thing? My mom used to make those sandwiches for me when I was a kid. Fry that stuff up. You got to make three slices in the edge or it humps up like a camel. Then you take that fried piece of bologna with a little bit of mayonnaise and put it on some bread with some lettuce and a fresh slice of tomato, and man, who's ready for lunch? is a good thing, and I don't know how come baloney came to be used in that phrase, but we know what the phrase, you're full of baloney, means. It means you're saying something that doesn't make sense, and it may be because you know it doesn't make sense, you're trying to, to pull something over on us, or maybe you don't know that it doesn't make sense. But either way, if you're telling something that is just not of the truth, it, it has no foundation in truth, then you can say, you're full of baloney. And there were three guys in the story of Job who were full of baloney. They had no clue what was going on. Now, there are five principal characters in the book. There's Job, and then there's uh, Eliphaz, the Temanite, and there is Bildad. By the way, you know Bildad's claim to fame? Yes, shortest guy in the Bible, Bildad the Shuhite. Come on, you don't tell... (laughs) You haven't heard that before. Bill, Dad, the shoe height, shortest guy. In the, anyway, well, then there was Zofar. Zofar also has a claim to fame. Claim to fame. Claim to fame. It's lesser known. He's he's a kind of a conservative optimist. Uh, Zofar, so good. See, it's fun to make jokes with these guys' names because they're full of baloney. <laughs> anyway, and then there are two other guys. Uh, Well, one other guy. How many have a name so far? Job, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. Oh, Elihu, Elihu. Now, the thing is, not one of these guys has a clue what's going on. But there's only three of them that are speculating and show themselves to be full of baloney. Why... Why would we read this? Why would we talk about this? Why would we consider this? When God made man in the creation, one of the things he says to Adam, to Eve, have dominion over the creation. In other words, you take charge. You have dominion. I believe when you read that, you're seeing that that it's implied that God designed us to search things out, to find out how to do things and what to do with things and reasons behind things. The problem is when it comes to spiritual things and things we don't know about, we are limited to what is revealed to us. And sometimes we pursue answers because we're trying to have dominion. We're trying to figure out why is this happening? Why is that happening? Joe just told us he's been to a funeral this week of a loved one who died unexpectedly. And how many of us... Have ever faced a situation like that. And and we ask well why. Why Why did they die like that. Why is this the way it is. You ever get an answer. No you don't get an answer. That's, That's just the way life is. And that's what Job shows us. The one thing that's clear in Job. Is that what is good for us to do. Regardless of what's happening. In our lives. Is to have faith in God faith in God that's the whole point I find it interesting that when you read through this book and it's not a short book you get to the end of all of this drama all this controversy all these guys suppositions about why things are the way they are and you find out these guys don't know a clue they don't know they don't have a clue they don't know a thing about what's going on but then Job does not get an explanation at the end now there's, there's a part of me, that the physical fleshly part, that wants God to say, Job, come here. Let me, let, me, let me tell you what happened. I was up in heaven talking to the devil. And I was bragging on you. I was saying how great you were. And, and the devil said, now just let me have him for a while. And I had faith in you, Job. If, if that's the right thing to say, can God have faith in somebody? But God seemed to have faith in Job. He said, oh, you considered my servant Job. God brought him up. And so he might be saying to Job, like, this is what happened. But... Job never got that. You know why he never got that? He didn't need that. Job needed the same thing you and I need. We need full and complete trust in God. Whatever happens, God is in control. Whatever he allows to happen to you or to me can always be for his glory if we live through that experience with faith. And that's what Job did. He didn't know why it was happening. He never found out why it was happening, but he maintained his integrity even when he was encouraged to curse God and die. He maintained his integrity. That's what Job did. Now you read about Job. The very first verse tells us about Job. It says this. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, Fearing God and turning away from evil. There's four ways God put it down through the Holy Spirit to let us know the kind of man Job was. Good man, solid man, right with God, blameless. And then it tells us about his possessions, how wealthy he was. And then it tells us that God bragged on him to Satan. You get down there in chapter 1, verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him in the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. He's repeating the same thing he's already told us, making sure we understand this is the kind of guy Job is. And then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Do You ever wonder if that describes you? I've wondered that. What would Marty Kessler do if the bottom fell out right now? You get news that you don't want to get. And it might be about you. It might be about one of your loved ones. You hear something that you never wanted to hear. You going to maintain your faith? That's the question. And that's what was up in the air here with Job as we start. I don't think it was ever up in the air for God. I think God knew. Just like when God asked Abraham... Take your son, your only son, the one I promised you, the one you waited on for 25 years and you finally got, take that boy up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. What did Abraham do? He took him up on the mountain to sacrifice him. Why did he do that? The Hebrew writer says because Abraham had faith. He had faith that God was able to raise his son even from the dead. So he's looking past all of any possible suppositions he had. To his faith in God, that even if he did follow through with what God said, God would be able to make it right and raise his son from the dead. You talk about faith. That's the kind of faith I want to have. That's the kind of faith I want you to have. That's the kind of faith that that I I keep studying and preaching these things because there's no other way to get that faith except this book. This is it. This the Holy Spirit of God living in you. In this word of the Spirit that we're putting into our minds and into our hearts. This is the source of faith. And when the hard times come, you're going to need faith. And if you've had hard times come, you know you need faith. You know the value of it, that it's beyond anything you could ever buy. You can't buy that. It's got to come this way. Well, so so Job, to make a, is it right to say this in a sermon, to make a long story short? I always feel like a liar when I say that. But to get down to the gist of it, Job, he's lost all of his possessions, and now he's lost his health. And he has these three friends come. At the end of chapter 2, you read about these three guys... It says this, chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. And they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. Now you stop and think about that. Are these guys friends or not? I'm telling you, these guys are friends. Oh man, have you heard what happened to Job? Oh yeah, that's horrible, isn't it? You know what, we, we ought to go, see. Let's, let's do that. All three of us, let's go. And they did. And it says in verse 12, When they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize Job, they raised their voices and they wept. When's the last time you wept over somebody else's pain? I'm not saying that as a criticism. I'm just saying that to show what we're reading here is about three guys that cared about Job. They were still full of baloney, you'll see that yourself, but, but they cared about Job. You know you can care, some, care about somebody and still be full of baloney, amen? <laughs> Each of them tore his robe. They threw dust over their heads toward the sky. They were hurting because of they saw their friend hurt. It says, They sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. These guys are friends. They showed up in Job's pain, and for seven days they sat in silence, commiserating with him. If this was the end of the story, it would have been great for these guys but then they start to talk we'll get to what they say I want you to get a clue about how Job felt this is Job chapter 3 verse 20 see if you can relate to this what Job says here in Job chapter 3 this is he says a lot but this one passage I think sort of encapsulates where he is in his mind and in his heart Job chapter 3 starting at verse 20. Why is light given to him who suffers and life to the bitter of soul? Who long for death but there is none and dig for it more than for hidden treasures. Who rejoice greatly and exult when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my groaning comes at the sight of my food and my cries pour out like water. What I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. You think about everything Job has suffered. When he talks about what he fears has come upon him, he doesn't elaborate, but he's lost his children. That's a horrible loss. He's lost his health. I don't know if his possessions, what part they played, but I'm sure they were part of that. Poverty. We we fear poverty, do we not? And he's been brought to poverty. He also talks about when they bring him his food, it makes him sick. No matter how much pain you're in, food can be the one comfort you have. But Job doesn't even have that comfort. This is where he is. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there. This is where he is. But here's here's where the baloney comes in, brothers and sisters. Chapter 4. Eliphaz the Temanite answered, If one ventures a word with you, will you become impatient? Who can refrain from speaking? Behold, you've admonished many and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand, and you have strengthened feeble deeds. So he's telling Job some good things about himself, but then he gets down to verse 7. Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright destroyed? According to what I've seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. What's he saying? You got this coming, brother. You messed up somehow. You done something. This is, oh, oh, the only people that I see suffer are the people who who deserve it because of the things they've done. What do you say to that? I say, Eliphaz is full of baloney because he doesn't know what's happened. He doesn't know. He doesn't have a clue that the only reason Job is suffering is because of his righteousness, it's his faith in God you got a really bad situation in the world. Who do you send but your very best soldiers? And I think that's where we are with Job, one of God's very best soldiers. And he's going through the war right now. It's a spiritual war. And he is suffering the turmoil of this battle. And all this friend has to say is, well, you deserve what you're getting. Man. But he's not the only one. A little later on, Bildad speaks up. This is what Bildad has to say. Chapter 8. Job chapter 8. Bildad the Shuhite answered, How long will you say these things? And the words of your mouth be a mighty wind. <laughs> What's he saying? You big blowhard. He's talking to the guy who's lost everything. He's sitting in the ash heap, scraping himself with a piece of pottery. And he's saying, You're a big blowhard. Man. Man. Does God pervert justice or does the Almighty pervert what's right? If your sons sinned against him, then he delivered them into the power of their transgression. What is he saying? Eliphaz was saying, Job, you must have done something really bad. And now Bildad is saying, your children must have done something really bad. Really? Really? It's a good thing guns had not been invented because Job probably would have shot both of them right there on the spot. But we're not done. Chapter 12. I'm sorry, not chapter 12, verse chapter 11. Job chapter 11. Zophar the Naamathite answered, Shall a multitude of words go unanswered and a talkative man be acquitted? (laughs) He's talking about Job. Come on, guys. Look down at verse 6. Show you the secrets of wisdom, and for sound wisdom has two sides. Know then that God forgets a part of your iniquity. Now what is, what is Zophar saying? God forgets a part of your iniquity? That's the same as saying, you're not getting as much as you deserve. You deserve more pain and suffering than you've already got. Well, how much more pain and suffering can be heaped on a man than what's, what's on Job? You see, each of these guys had speculations. I think they were doing what we try to do. They were trying to find answers. And they found some answers. The same kind of answers I used to find in geometry class and in algebra. The wrong answers. That's what I'm saying. I got an algebra and I said, what's going on here? This, this should be English. Look at all these letters. Math is for numbers. Well, they had to explain some things to me and I still never got it. And I'm broken hearted about that because I use algebra every day. <laughs> See, it's funny, isn't it? We understand that. We understand being clueless. And we understand having the wrong answers. And we understand the frustration. But think about being in Job's situation. And these three guys are speculating about his wickedness. And speculating about the wickedness of his children. And they're offering this up. This is the answer of why you're suffering. And I I have to respect God so much that he did not send lightning bolts down for each one of these guys. You know why? Because they were full of baloney. They didn't have a clue. And I don't ever want to be one of these guys. I don't want to speculate about something that I don't know anything about and come up with an answer that I have so much confidence in that I'm willing to put it out there as stupid as it is. We try to find answers. I know we do that. That's our nature and that's fine. I don't think there's any problem with that. The problem comes when we we come up with these ideas and we begin to have so much confidence in our ideas that we think they're right when you can't prove that they are. Be careful with that. Be careful about coming up with conclusions that may be way off base. Be careful about judging someone. That came up in Jesus' ministry quite a bit, didn't it? He said, hey, you know those guys on on whom the Tower of Siloam fell? You think you guys are better than them or they're worse than you? I'm telling you, nay, except you all do what? Repent. You're all going to die that way. Judge not lest you be judged. For what judgment you give out, what's going to happen? You're going to be judged that way. Be careful how you look upon someone's life and draw conclusions. Because we don't know. God knows. And isn't that the way you really want it to be? Don't you want him to know and him to be in charge? Don't take the reins of control away from God. Don't try to do that with your speculations. Let God be the one who knows. I I like what Job says in chapter 12, verse 1. 1 and 2. Job chapter 12, 1 and 2. Then Job responded, truly then you are the people and with you wisdom will die. What did Job know? Now he didn't know why he was suffering, but he did know about these guys, that they were full of baloney. And he states it here in so many words. Oh, when you guys die, wisdom's going to be gone. He's fighting back. He's coming back. He's still got some spirit left, doesn't he? Well, you know how it turns out. If you don't, go back and read it. A young man by the name of Elihu shows up. and This is what it says in chapter 32. Chapter 32 of Job. Then these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes But the anger of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the family of Ram, burned against Job. His anger burned because he justified himself before God. And his anger burned against his three friends because they had found no answer and yet they had condemned Job. Now they had answers, but they weren't the right answers. And based on their baloney, they condemned Job. Based on Job's defense of himself Elihu was angry you can read what Elihu says but but this is where we stand at this point we understand any error that Job might make because he's in such pain these other guys well it's a different story we eventually get to chapter 38 where God finally speaks. And Think about it, 37 chapters we've got so far. And much of that 37 chapters is baloney. It's the viewpoints of those three guys that are wrong. Why in the world would God fill so much of his book with bad information from horrible sources why would he do that i think for me when i read this because some of that stuff sounds pretty profound sounds like some of the things i've said i don't know how that came across but what i'm saying is i can relate to the baloney i don't want to be a baloney guy i want to be a truth guy Chapter 38, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. And he said, see, we know about whirlwinds here in Oklahoma. The Lord answered Job out of the tornado, we could say. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me, God says. Let me ask you a few questions, and you straighten me out on this. And then if you, if you read it, I don't know how you'll uh, divide all these up, but I'm counting 72 questions. And these 72 questions cover everything from the the celestial bodies to the weather cycle to animals to the fish in the sea, snow, everything. 72 questions God asked Job. You know how to do this? And Job would have to say, no. What about this, Job? Job would have to say, I don't know. There's not just talking about Job. But Job is the one with whom he's making the point. He's making the point. You don't know, Job. I do. God's not trying to be mean. He's trying to make the point. Don't trust yourself, Job. Trust me. And that's really what Job has done. He's done it through suffering. He's maintained his integrity to a degree. But these other guys, wow. Where do they stand? Well, I'll tell you where they stand. You get to the end of the book and God tells Job, you're going to stand in as a priest for these three guys. You three guys need to go bring your sacrifices to Job so that he can pray for you and I might... Forgive you guys, that's, that's where it ends up. Now you, you read all the details for yourself. But I want you to go with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. Because we read all about pain and suffering and dealing with pain and suffering in Job. But we also read about it in Matthew 27. So many other places as well. But this is where we'll go this morning to wrap this lesson up. Matthew chapter 27 verse 45. It says, Now from the sixth hour darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. When would the sixth hour be? That would be noon. Ninth hour, three hours. So from noon to three o'clock in the afternoon. Darkness fell. God made that darkness come. Amos prophesied it. Secular writers described it trying to say it was an eclipse of the sun. The reason being was that there weren't any clouds. They said stars were visible. That's how dark it was. It it wasn't just like when a storm comes over and it gets a little dark. No, there were stars visible. Isn't that interesting that it's so dark you can see stars. So there must not have been any clouds. You can't see stars when there's clouds. God made it that way. Because this was a dark time. It says in verse 46, About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You recognize that? That's the text Braden read for us this morning. Jesus wasn't just saying something. He was quoting something. Who was he quoting? He was quoting David. Go back to that text, 22nd Psalm. I I don't profess to understand everything about this, but I know we're talking about dealing with pain and difficulty. In the 22nd Psalm, those first five verses read this way. Let's look at them again as Braden read in force earlier. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer and by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are, you are holy. Oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted in They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were delivered. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. David is the first one on record to say these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we know from the context, David wasn't actually forsaken. So what's the truth about Jesus? And I know we can go back and forth about what some scholars say about, well, God can't look upon sin, and there was Jesus on the cross bearing the sin of the world, and God couldn't look on that, and he had to turn his head. I I don't know about all that. I'm not sure I believe it exactly like that, but I do know this. Jesus' pain was a very personal thing. And he wasn't simply quoting a passage of scripture. I believe he was expressing what he was feeling at the moment. Whether God actually abandoned him at that point or not, I don't know. You answer that. You wrestle for that question for yourself. But Jesus was dealing with his pain. He was wrestling with his pain. And he was quoting a passage of scripture from David to show that. If you've been through a great deal of pain, one of the things you've probably noticed is that how lonely it can be. Because your pain is your pain. Nobody else is experiencing it. It belongs to you. And there was Christ on the cross. After six hours hanging on a cross, how much pain would he have been in? Six hours after having been beaten, probably close to the end of his life, how much pain would he be in? A thorn of crowns on his head. That's the physical pain. What spiritual pain was there? What broken heart concept is there connected with bearing the sin of the world? I don't have a clue. I read this and I think no matter how much pain I'm in, Jesus understands. I can always go to him. I know he relates because this is his pain. I read about his pain and I understand as a father how much pain would God have been in And yet Isaiah said, I know, sweetheart, you're in pain too. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10 says, It pleased God to crush him. Imagine that. Think of that. It pleased God to crush his son. Why would it please God? Because he was looking at us. He was thinking about our salvation through his son's suffering. And that's what pleased God. So today we think about Jesus and his sacrifice. We think about Job and, and the lessons learned from Job and from his three friends. Actually four friends because we got to throw Elihu in there too. He had the good sense to see through all that and see what was actually going on. We, we need to learn from these folks. And the things we need to learn. Well, just four applications I want us to make. All I've got to do is find my note where I wrote them down. Number one, you're in pain, trust God. No matter what, trust God. No matter what you think about it, if you think you deserve it, you think you don't, trust God. You think it's unfair or you think it's perfectly suited for you, trust God. Trust God. Trust God. Number two, wait. Wait. upon the Lord to see what he will do. It is his choice and you don't want it to be any other way. You want it to be his choice. Wait. We talk about patience. You know what patience is? Patience isn't simply waiting. Patience is waiting with a good attitude. And if anything will try to rob you of a good attitude, it's pain. Wait. Be patient. That's waiting with a good attitude. Number three, resist the baloney conclusions. They will drive you nuts. You try to figure things out, you can't figure things out. I keep quoting Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. That tells us there are secret things. And the reason for Job's suffering was a secret to him. We're told about it. We understand it. I think we're told about it so we can see that in our lives it's going to be the same way. Things are going to have. Things are going to go on, and you won't have answers. You might try to come to conclusions, but rest assured, you might be coming to some baloney conclusions. Be careful about that. Number four, last one. Be there with those who suffer. Some of these are about your suffering, but this one's about other people's suffering. Yes. If we'd read about Job's three friends coming and sitting with him in silence for seven days, we would think... What great friends those were. But they opened their mouths. And now we think differently. (laughs) Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. Because what comes out is often maloney. Here we are. We're just, we're small. And we're trying to do the right thing. So keep the faith. I don't know where you are in regard regard to your faith this morning in God. But I want to encourage you. If if you're struggling with that. If you need help. I want to talk to you. If, If you... I have questions about your salvation. I want to talk to you. Other people here want to talk to you. You need prayers. We want to talk to you. We're here for each other. This isn't just to come and, and hear a lesson. This is to worship our God. And in the worship of our God, we offer you the ministry that he offers us. And so we stand and sing a song inviting you to respond if there's anything we can do for you. Let's stand and sing.